what real prayer looks like this morning. You know, as, as I've been, and most of you are on Facebook, um, you, you communicate a lot through Facebook, and if you don't, um, you're probably better off. But, uh, <laughs> but if, you, if you do, you see that there's been a lot of prayers, there's been a lot of communication for uh, Hurricane Harvey, for Hurricane Irma, uh, for the political conditions in our land, for a lot of the things that are going on. And, and there's great concern, of, of course, which there should be. And I, I've noted, though, that a lot of the prayers that I've read uh, have, have been kind of either, um, either amiss or, or have gone beyond what, beyond what maybe real prayer should be in these kinds of times. Um, I, I will, some people want me to mention names, but I, I don't really like to mention names because I'm using it for an example, not to throw any, any disparagement upon someone else who's part of the body of Christ. Um, that's never my intention, but one very well-known um, uh, preacher uh, posted a prayer uh, during Hurricane Harvey, and the prayer was uh, more of a rebuke against the storm and, and, uh, and, and everything of, of declaration, but the storm still hit. So if that was really the right prayer, then the storm wouldn't have hit because that declaration was a, a, a word against the storm to stop it in every way, shape, or form. And, and we know that the storm still hit, and it hit strongly, and it hit severely. So in times like that, you wonder, you know, what is the right way to pray, and what does real prayer look like in these times of difficulty, in these times of, of distress? I think that we can learn a lesson about prayer and a lesson about what real prayer is by looking at the dedication prayer that Solomon prayed when he dedicated the temple. So I'd like you to begin looking with me at the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 6 at beginning with verse 12. Lord, as we open up your word and as we dive into this topic, I, I really want to pray that you would give me clarity and that what you have placed on my heart would be acceptable to you, and you would just uh, fine-tune this message even, even now as, as we share it from your word, so that only what you want to have declared is declared, and our hearts would be transformed by your love. So verse 12 begins, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands, for Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high. He'd set it in the midst of the court, and he stood on it, knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven, and he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven or on earth like you, who keeps your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all of their hearts. For you have kept what you had promised, your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hands as it is this day. Therefore, God, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they may walk in my law as you have walked before me. And now, O Lord God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David. 
But will God indeed dwell with men on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Verse 19, Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God. Listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you, that your eyes may be open toward the temple this day, and night toward this place where you said you would put your name, and that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place, and you may hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. I want to just listen to that last verse. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Notice that even though Solomon was asking the Lord to hear when they gathered around the temple, he knew that God was really in the heavenlies. And he he was making a statement that defines and declares to us a direction, a, 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 a focal point of every thing we do when we pray and it's that we come to a holy God as his chosen people but imperfect people and we come in need to be forgiven that leads us to the word repentance when repentance the literal translation of course is a turning it's a it's a turning from something towards something. And constantly in the Bible, the call to repentance is a call to turn from ourselves and turn back toward God. And we don't even know when we're getting off track, do we? You know, even sometimes when we're serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord, praying to the Lord, we get off track very easily and we need to turn back toward the Lord. That's the constant call of our lives. But there's a problem with repentance. And I thought about two things in repentance that are a struggle for us. We either feel self-righteous and that the call for repentance is a call to someone else or we feel unworthy of God's forgiveness and we're afraid to approach Him because we are afraid that if we truly come to Him, He won't forgive us. Let me say those again. The problem with repentance is that we either feel self-righteous within ourselves, and when we hear the call to repentance, we think, oh yeah, I hope Bud hears it. I hope Sally hears it. But it's not really for me because I'm okay. Or we feel so unworthy that we're afraid to approach God in true repentance because we somehow have this concept that God has a hammer and He's just waiting to find us in in our air and just give us a clobber. And that's not what God is like. Jesus said in Luke, He said, And He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray. My dad used to sing this song. It was just awesome. He used to sing this. Uh, there was a, a great uh, uh, tenor uh, solo about this. And, and two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like any of these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. See, he was, he was coming to God, but he was already setting himself against everybody else. I thank you that I'm righteous, and I thank you that I'm, I'm not like that guy. And then, he said, I fast twice a week. I love this. I give tithes of all that I possess. I'm on the kids' beach club. <laughs> and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not as much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said this, I tell you. This man, which one? The man who beat his breast. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God has called the church to be a house of prayer. The temple was a house of prayer. Every synagogue when the temple was destroyed was called to be a house of prayer. Every place that God's people join together is called to be a house of prayer. Jesus went into the temple, it says, in Matthew 21. He drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said this, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves and robbers. When I read the book of Job, which I just completed in my yearly Bible reading and devotions, and I look at the story of Job, it's a story that most people don't understand. Job had three friends who were trying to pin some sin on Job. He did something to get in this predicament. He did some overt sin. Now understand, overt sin is sins we do outside of ourselves. Something that he committed a sin of commission, and they were trying to nail him. You know, Job, you wouldn't be in this mess because you probably did this, you probably did that, you probably did this, boom. Just, just repent for doing that, and you'll be okay. And Job said, no, I didn't do that. I did, I'm not guilty. He didn't do, and he didn't do anything externally, overtly, that was worthy of judgment. But he had some stuff inside that no one else could see. Only God. And he had some stuff inside that God wanted to set him free from. And as he went through those difficult times, finally God speaks to him. And Job, after he hears God, he's heard everybody. And finally, this little guy named Elihu, a young man, by the way, young men, listen to this. Elihu was the only one that God did not correct because he spoke from the Spirit. And when Elihu spoke, then God spoke. And after God spoke, Job answered the Lord, chapter 42, verses 1 to 6, and he said, I know, Lord, that you can do everything, and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. And you asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? He says, I've uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. 
You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now, Lord, my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. You see, God was trying to bring Job to that place of repentance so he could be set free. It wasn't because of something he did. It was because of something he needed. God calls us all to repent. And as he does, I want to show you this in this wonderful sixth chapter. Solomon stands on that, that beautiful bronze platform that he had built and he, with his arms outstretched and he's looking up to heaven and in verses 22 to 23 he says, If anyone sins against his neighbor, Lord, and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven, act and judge your servants, bringing retribution on the wicked by bringing his way on his own head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. So the very first thing God calls us to is to look at the sins that we've committed against our neighbor. It's so important that we walk with a, a, a heart of forgiveness, we walk with a heart that's restored toward one another. It's so important that God says, even before you come to worship me, get your heart right with your brother or your sister. Matthew 5, 23-24 says, If you bring your gift to the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come to offer your gift because God is more interested about what's in here than what's in here. Did you hear that? God cares more about this than this. I care more about what's in there than what's in there in your hands. So God calls us to repent if we sin against our neighbor. Look at the next two verses, 24 and 25. Or if your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against you and return and confess your name and pray and make supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven, forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to them and their fathers. Verses 24 to 25 are the prayer of repentance for a nation who has failed God. And I want to tell you, every nation has failed God. This nation has failed God. Psalm 33, verses 10 to 12 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. It's the counsel of the Lord that stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people He has chosen as His own inheritance. Oh, that we as a nation need to repent. You know, I tell you what needs to happen in Congress. There doesn't need to be more meetings and more negotiations and more compromise. What there needs to be is a prayer meeting on both sides of the aisle. Crying out and repenting. And fortunately, there are congressmen and senators who are doing that. Not in the majority, but they're mighty prayer warriors on our behalf. Verses 26 to 31. 
When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land which you have given to your people as an inheritance. And when there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows his own burden and his own grief and spreads out his hands to this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know. For you know the hearts of all the sons of men. You alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. Verse 31, that they may fear you, Lord, to walk in your ways as long as they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. This is for the sin of a nation against God that results in natural disasters and calamity. Now, I'm not saying that there's an overt sin of Florida or Texas that God sent these hurricanes. But I want to tell you that just as God allows these things to happen, He could stop them from happening. And when these things happen, we're called to pray. And they're a call to repent. You know, I'll never forget, I couldn't go to church on the Sunday after September 11th because we couldn't make it to the churches. In San Antonio, the roads were so blocked and every church parking lot was full. There was no place for us to park. We had to turn and go home. But we soon forgot that. A few Sundays went by and everything was back to normal. We rush and we cry out in times of calamity, but I don't even think we're doing that anymore. We're looking to FEMA and we're looking to uh, the government and we're looking to everyone else. And when these things happen, we're, we need as God's people to cry out to God. And some people may say, well, why did he, uh, you know, gosh, Texas, if there's a nation, if there's a, a state in, in, in the U.S. That, uh, that stands for things that are godly more than California or New York or other places, it's Texas. You know, I mean, Texas is, is in the Bible Belt. Some people think it's the buckle, other people think Oklahoma is the buckle. I don't know. But it's in the Bible Belt. And why would God allow this to come against Texas? And, and, and Jesus told a story. Well, it, it wasn't a story. Actually, this is a true account. It says, There were some present at the season who told him about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So these Galileans got arrested by Pilate and they were killed. And Jesus said to them, he said, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered such things? Was Texas worse, a worse sinning uh, state than, than Colorado? Or than, they got marijuana. I mean, you know, why did you, you know, why did we get hit? They got marijuana. You know, what's the deal here? Do you, do you, you know, I'm just being real here. 
I'm trying to put it in, in, in modern terms here. Jesus said, do you suppose these Galileans who got arrested, who got killed, whose blood was mingled with the pagan sacrifices, were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered that? He says, I tell you, no. But unless all of you repent, you will likewise perish. Or what about those 18 people? that were under the tire of, uh, Tower of Siloam and it fell and killed all of them, do you think that those 18 people were worse sinners than everyone else? Jesus said, no. I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Do you see what Jesus was saying? You know, everything in life isn't because we've done something overtly wrong. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in a world that's affected by sin. And, and we are called to repent and call out to the Lord God of heaven's armies. When we repent, we place ourselves under the rule and the mighty hand of God. But when we harden our hearts, we place ourselves under the rule of sin, under the rule of the flesh, and under the rule of the devil. I'm not going to read my blog, but I did a, a blog, a prayer for Irma and Hurricane Harvey, which was an expanded prayer based on a scripture that I, that I read where it says God controls the swirling waters. And I thought, wow, that's a hurricane. And, and I, I put that on my blog, and it was on our, our Facebook page, in case you want to read it later. But I got an email response from someone in Cape Town, South Africa. And he writes, I, I don't really even know, I can't even, he's got a code name here, you know, I can't pronounce it. So it's really South Africa. He says, in Cape Town, South Africa, we are experiencing a critical drought. Only a few weeks water left. We had a storm early June that had caused no much, that so much damage, yet there was very little rain. Huge waves, 12 meters high, crashed over the promenade and into the streets. The drought was ignored by the mayor and the premier, so they didn't implement water restrictions soon enough or severely enough, soon enough or, or severely enough, and four million lives are at risk. And imagine the humanitarian disaster that could potentially unfold even civil war. He says, and yet we find fault with each other. Pride and arrogance abound. There really is little sign of repentance. God is trying to get our attention, but even Christian radio stations play him down, going on as if nothing happened. Such is man's arrogance. Even in how we drive, pointing fingers at one another is an indication of exactly how far we are from repenting. And so, the drought continues. Man, it's not just us, folks. God is calling all of us to repent. The call to repent is for everybody. Look at verses 32 and 33. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, 
but has come from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray in this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all which the foreigner calls you to do, that all the peoples of the earth may know that your name, they may know your name and fear you, so do your people Israel, that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. The call to prayers for the Jew and the Gentile. I love this in Isaiah 56, again in my devotions this week. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve Him and to love the name of the Lord to be His servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Verses 34 to 35. When your people go out to battle against their enemies, and wherever you send them, and when they pray to you toward this city which you have chosen, and this temple which I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. In times of war and threats of the enemy, which we have, by the way, right now, don't we? With missiles being pointed in our direction from a crazy dictator in North Korea. What do we do? We pray. We repent. General S. Patton, in one of the most famous prayers from World War II, The prayer before the Battle of the Bulge. And this was it. This was the big one, guys. I mean, they had D-Day. There was was some victory. But this was the last last push that really crushed the Third Reich. And they were going to break through that bulge. But there was terrible weather. The only hope Hitler had, and he was throwing all of his his chips in on this battle, throwing everything in on this battle. The only hope they had was that the terrible weather would continue because the terrible weather worked against the Allied forces. And so this mighty general knew he was way above his pay grade. He was a fighting general, but he didn't know how to pray. And so he called on Father James Hugh O'Neill, a Catholic priest. So if ever you think that the only people who know how to pray are people who are full gospel or people who are Baptist or people who are from one denomination, and, you know, and that's craziness, God used a Catholic priest, Father James Hugh O'Neill, and he said, he said, Father O'Neill, I need a prayer. I need a prayer against this weather. I need a prayer for this victory. And so Father O'Neill wrote this prayer, and General S. Patton sent cards out to all of his troops with this prayer on it. Every soldier had that card and had that prayer. And it said, Almighty and most merciful Father, we humbly beseech Thee of Thy great goodness to restrain, restrain these immoderate rains which we have had to contend with. Grant us fair weather for battle. Graciously hearken to us as soldiers who call upon Thee, that armed with Thy power we may advance from victory to victory and crush 
the oppression and the wickedness of our enemies and establish thy justice among men and nations. And God broke the weather. Father O'Neill was the only person of his stature, a chaplain, who received from General Patton a bronze star for his prayer. Finally, worship team, come back up. We need to pray whenever we fall into bondage as a result of sin. Verse 36 says, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like 1 John 1, 8-9 and 2, 1-2, doesn't it? Let no one say he is without sin, for he deceives himself. When they sin against you, and there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to a land far or near, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they are carried captive, and repent, and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we've sinned and we've done wrong and have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity. Oh man, can you, can you just see the prophetic nature of this prayer? This is, this is years and years, generations before Judah would fall to Babylon before the northern kingdom would fall to Assyria. And here is Solomon praying and crying out to God, when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, and when they have been carried captive and pray toward this their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and toward this temple which I have built for your name, then, Lord, hear from your heaven, your dwelling place. Hear their prayer and their supplications. Maintain their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. The Bible tells us a story about the prodigal son. And we read this. It says, when he came to himself. And when they come to themselves, it says in verse 37. And Jesus said in Luke 15, but when he came to himself. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you. Against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And it said, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion. He ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. God is calling each one of us to repent. In fact, that's our life's call. Repentance is, is a, a daily journey in, in life with the Lord. Because I want to tell you right now, I prayed this in the prayer room and I really mean this. I don't know everything that's wrong with me. Yesterday, I learned, or Friday, I learned some of the stuff that was wrong with me when I was freaking out with my daughter who was in Orlando and the hurricanes were coming and she was indecisive and they were going back and forth and I was trying to be dad, but then I realized she's 24. I can't be dad like that anymore and I lost it. I did. I lost it. I mean, I... You know, I was saying, I, I, you know, I said, I'm 62 and you're 24, you're going to listen to me. <laughs> well, uh, that didn't work too well, as you can 
you know. But I was, I was scared. I was desperate. I was, I was frustrated. I, I didn't know what to do. And, 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 and you know what? <laughs> then I, 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 I got corrected. Um, <laughs> it was a hard day. There's so many things that I'm not aware of, so many things that you're not aware of. We need constantly for the Lord to reveal the next thing that we need to lay on the altar. We sit at the foot of the cross. Our families need to repent. Our churches need to repent. Our nation needs to repent. Our world needs to repent. In the final three verses, in verses 40 to 42, says, Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open. Let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priest, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Remember the mercies of your servant David. And it says in the next chapter, and when he finished praying, the Shekinah glory of the Lord fell upon the temple. I want to read one last verse. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 to 19. I'm going to add one word in here, and I think I can. I don't think it's going to really be wrong to do. And I'm going to read it first the way it says. It's judgment time for God's own family. I want to say it's repentance time for God's own family. We're first in line. If it starts with us, think what it's going to be like for those who refuse God's message. God's message. If good people barely make it. And don't you feel like that sometimes? Like, I'm just barely making it. If good people barely make it, what's in store for the bad? So if you find life difficult because you're doing what God said, take it in stride. Trust Him. He knows what He's doing. And He'll keep on doing it. It's time, repentance time, for God's own family. As I drove here this morning and I was in, pr I was in prayer, I, I went a little different route because I had to pick up the mail because Bonnie is away on a business trip. And, and um, I, I was driving and I was going to stop by um, Taco Cabana and get a couple breakfast tacos, but I, but I was praying. And I was listening to this song about the blood of Christ and I was praying and I was praying and I was just caught up into prayer and all of a sudden I, 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 I became aware of my surroundings. Don't worry, I wasn't driving with my eyes closed, but, but all of a sudden I was in the parking lot of the church. I mean, I don't even remember getting there. I don't even remember where I turned or when I turned. I just knew, oh, I went, oh no, I don't have my tacos. <laughs> you know, I was a little disappointed that I didn't have my tacos, but but, but then I just, I just sat there for a moment and the Lord said, I want you to do things a little differently this morning. And, and we're not going to try to elicit anything. We're not trying to create a, an emotional response. But we're going to take time to worship now. And we're going to take time to give you time to have quality time with the Lord and to hear His call to repent. You may say, well, Pastor Kirk, I don't even know what to repent for. Then, 
Then pray what David prayed and said, O Lord, search me and know me, O God, and see if there's anything in me that I need to repent from. Oh God, some of you say, well, that's easy, Kirk, just like you on Friday, I, well, this week, whew, I got it. But whether you want to come up and kneel at the front, whether you want to just sit in your chair and just cry out to God, whether you want to stand and just worship, whatever you want to do as we go to the throne of God, I'm inviting you to do. Respond as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. This is not a response for me. This is not a response for anyone else. I, want, I, I would just encourage you not to look to the left or to the right. I would encourage you to look toward heaven. I would encourage you only to look toward your own heart. And I would encourage you to cry out to the Lord this morning and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. God wants to change us. Let's, let's worship. Stand, sit, kneel, come forward, whatever you want to do. But let's worship. And as we do, let's repent and cry out to the Lord God of heaven. say to you, and I'm saying this as a prayer, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That the call to repentance is not a call to be condemned, it's a call to be set free. And that verse is, where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. When we do that, He places His holiness in us. Holiness is Christ to me. Let's sing that again.
Lord, speak to us as we continue. Lord, draw us to the throne of grace. Give us revelation. We run to you. You're the only one.
Lord, we repent this morning for the times when we don't trust you. When we face the unknown. When we face things that are outside of our control. When we have challenges ahead of us and, and, and we, we doubt that you're going to be there. God, would you just forgive us? And would you truly make all things new? Would you bring your promises to bear upon our life? I, I just felt a special urge to pause and pray. There, there are several in here this morning. The Holy Spirit has just shown me. And you're facing great unknowns. There's just an uncertainty in your heart. And God is wanting to say to you that He is walking beside you every step of the way. That He knows both your past, your present, and He holds your future in His hands. And that He will not leave you nor forsake you, but He will be with you as a constant provider, as a constant comfort. The Holy Spirit of God will never depart from you. It will never leave you. It will always direct you. It will always pull you back to the right direction. It will always show you at the moment you need it the things that you need to do. You won't receive that grace before that moment. You'll receive that grace at that moment. So the Lord would say, stop struggling. Stop wrestling. Stop fearing. Stop striving. And rest. For He is the God who makes all things new. Your love is stronger 
17 says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. God, we cry out to you and we say, forgive us for loving this world. Forgive us for loving the things of this world. Forgive us for being drawn by the passions of our flesh. Forgive us for loving anything more than loving You. Forgive us for putting anything before You. For worshiping anything beside You. For calling out to anyone but You first. Always. Instead of just running to the doctor, God, may we call out to you first. Instead of just taking out our calculator and our checkbook and a spreadsheet, let us cry out to you first. Instead of planning scenario A, B, and C for a backup, let us cry out for your plan first. God, we cry out to you. We need healing this morning, Lord. We need your healing this morning. We need your healing as a nation. We need your healing as a community. We need your healing as a state. We need your healing in the world. We need your healing in the Gulf Coast. We need your healing in the Florida Coast. We need your healing over Cuba and over the Virgin Islands and over St. Thomas. Lord, all those places that were totally devastated. Some islands aren't even habitable anymore. For the lives that were lost this morning, the lives that were lost yesterday, oh God, we cry out, heal us and hear our prayer. Don't, don't, Lord God. Don't fail to have mercy. You will have mercy. We cry out this morning, Lord, God, have mercy and heal us. Hands in your 
Jesus and if I can paraphrase it he said Jesus if you want to you can heal me see he wasn't sure and Jesus looked at him with compassion for his brokenness of spirit soul and body and Jesus said I want to. I want to be healed. Lord, you want to touch us. You want to heal us. You want to forgive us. You want to cleanse us. And you're waiting always for us to turn to you. Repentance isn't always about sin. It's about just turning to you for everything in our lives. It's turning to you, Lord. And so this morning, we turn to you. 
with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we, we pray now that your Shekinah glory would begin to, to invade our lives in every area, Lord. Let the light of your presence push out darkness in every corner. I believe that there, if you're here this morning, it's not by accident. And God is saying to you, it's not business as usual anymore. It's business on your knees with me. Thy kingdom come, Lord God. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One more time, that chorus is a prayer. Heal me. perfectly with what Kurt just said about us uh, not dependent on God for all things and uh, it's uh, Romans 8 starts in uh, verse 2 it says for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh in other words through us trying to do it on our own God sending his sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit and it's just like Kirk said so many times we we understand the finished work of the cross for our justification but when it comes to being set free and it comes to being changed, sanctification, we want to do that on our own. We want to do that with our own ability. And I just want to say that sinful man cannot change the heart of sinful man. I can't change my own heart. I have to call on God to change my heart. And as I call on Him to show me and reveal to me the things in my heart that He doesn't want there, then I have to repent of that and if I've been trying to do that on my own, I need to repent of that too and trust in Him. He provided that on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. He provided victory for us. He, re he, pro he provided. We don't have to be in bondage to those things that are in our hearts that are not godly, that are not of Him. And it's just like Kirk said, we, uh, 
so many times we want to just try and fix it on our own and we can't do that I just wanted to share that thank you Mitch I'm going to close with this um, how do you know when, when revival has arrived We know when revival is really in our midst when we begin to stop talking about everything that's wrong with everyone and everything else. And we begin testifying of the deliverance and the freedom that Christ is giving us on a daily basis. And when we do that, we'll be in revival. And Lord, we pray that that day will come for your church in America and in the world. When our fingers will not be pointed at anything but heaven. When our hearts will not be filled with anything but love. When our prayers will not be for our own needs, but they'll be prayers of intercessions for the brokenness and needs of others when our resources will not be stored up only for our own kingdoms, but will be invested in the kingdom of God and in the lives of others. When your kingdom and your glory are more important to us than anything else on the face of this earth, then we will be in revival. Will you bring that to your church, Lord? Will you bring that hunger for worship, that that desire for repentance, that, that passion for prayer back to us, will you draw us back to you again as we turn to you this morning? I bless your people, Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. I'm going to dismiss you we didn't really have announcements. Can I just say before I do dismiss you that in your bulletin is everything that's coming up this week. Our whole fall schedule begins on Wednesday. We have a cross-track class for newcomers on Saturday the 23rd and a special diabetes class. There's a flyer in your thing on the 24th. You can register for any of those classes by just taking off your welcome card, filling it in, and putting it in the offering basket on your way out. Go pondering this morning. Go in that spirit of prayer and worship and let God begin to direct you in a new and vibrant way. You're dismissed. Thank you for being with us.